Yes, welcome back to the Lars Resort. The doors are open again at the resort. The, the hammocks are out. Do we have hammocks? <laughs> I haven't I haven't really gotten into that yet. We haven't fully like the interior of the resort remains a, a mystery, an open book, but it is still uh, a podcast with myself, Lars Everson, brought to you by Betson, as always. Uh, thanks be to them. Uh, I, I I decided, you know, because of good feedback from you guys, and also because I quite frankly enjoyed uh, doing those episodes. I want to bring Peter back. I absolutely adore hanging out with Peter um, from the from the kick around on the a very excellent uh, Dallas based sports radio, the Ticket. Uh, he did such a good job helping me through my bad predictions. He helped me make new ones. Uh, I, I kind of just want to hang out and chat about what happened at the football at the weekend with Peter. So I'm going to do that. Thank you very much, Peter, for coming back to the Lars Resort. Uh, hey, uh, Lars, I don't see any hammock, so I'm just hoping you don't mean banana hammock. Well, absolutely none of that. I mean, that that would be, I think, uh, I th- certainly for me to show myself in public in such apparel, I believe is technically a war crime. Uh, they actually had to sort of change some of the laws uh, at The Hague, but it is now considered a war crime. So uh, I, they'd never let me out again. Uh, but, but no, I, this is something I think we should do at the resort. I always had that idea that um, when I have guests on, they should get to like pick a thing that goes into the resort. But then I had like Tor Christian Carlson on, who's a very serious guy. And I didn't like, I, I, I wasn't sure if it was the right vibe to say, oh, mm. you're, you're a very experienced uh, football scout and an executive. Uh, how do you feel about a tiki bar at a resort? Is that something you're interested <laughs> in? I mean, that, I've, that felt like not a good way to take that conversation, but you I'm more comfortable with. I feel more yeah, relaxed. I'm the opposite of serious, Lawrence. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so if you could pick a thing, sorry, I've done this thing that I shouldn't do, but I've sprung something on you and given you no mm. time to think about it. If there's one thing that has to be in a resort, if you're visiting a resort, what do you want there? What what needs to be in a resort for Peter Welton to be happy? Uh, wow, that's a... Um, and don't say like a toilet, because that's obvious. Like It needs to be like a, a, a feature of a resort. Uh, a, a yummy appetizer. Mmm, good appetizer game. I like, like that. That's totally like not yeah quality guacamole and chips. How about that? Mm. Since I'm from Texas and I love me some Texas guacamole Tex-Mex. and chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the sort of inaugural uh, Lars Resort feature, the Peter Welpton Memorial uh, guacamole and chips. That makes it sound like you're dead. Let's not call him that. Uh, the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the Peter Welpton. Uh, special or something. We'll, we'll work on it, but I, I do think that's a good principle. Every guest in the resort gets to to, to bring something. You have brought the guac, yeah. and I thank you for it, sir. Uh, the Premier League has started. Uh, there are loads of talking points uh, already. I feel like we're in that sort of space where we overreact to absolutely everything. So one of your jobs today on this episode, Peter, will be to rein me in. <laughs> but... Uh, I kind of want to start with Man United, which is not just because you're on the show, but mean. should we be worried? What do you think? Uh, I mean, this is pretty much what I expected. Uh, I, I didn't, my hopes, I, I had predicted them fifth this season. Mm. And uh, I've been, as as interesting, I think, as Mason Mount as, addition, as, as an addition to the team was, I've always been curious about how Ten Hag was going to make the Casemiro uh, Bruno Fernandez, Mason Mount trio work, mm. and we're obviously it's not working very well yet. And I do, and I have worried that uh, I'm I haven't quite figured it out what it what point it will be this season. But I have a feeling there will come a moment, maybe earlier than later, where we all kind of look at each other and go, "We kind of need to have a conversation about Casemiro." 
Yeah, yeah. No, you've thrown two things out there, which I think are both really interesting. First thing is the the balance of that midfield. And I spoke to someone who I won't name, but who works in, in football and whose opinion I trust very highly about it yesterday. And he was like, well, it doesn't work. Like, he, he doesn't bring enough physically at Mason Mount. He gets around a lot, but he doesn't actually win the ball very often. And if Casemiro's creaking a bit, that just isn't going to work, which is, which sent cold shivers down my spine because I thought it would work. And I've kind of said that a number of times, and I hate being wrong. I still kind of believe that Mount's ability to cover big areas of the field, to get around, and his sort of tactical intelligence, apparently coaches love him because he takes on instruction well. Maybe that means it, it can be fixed, this thing. Because certainly in the first two games, it hasn't worked. And but, but I think it also kind of ties into what you mentioned about Casemiro. Because it's not... Listen... When a when a twenty five year old player has two bad games, he he's just had two bad games. When a guy who's past thirty has two bad games, people tend to say he's past it, and it's very mean, and it's not always true. But he's looked a little bit slow. He's looked a little bit heavy, and yeah. I think maybe he's carrying a bit of a bit of holiday um, physique. Maybe he has yeah, he's not in peak physical condition yet. This is possible, but I think it's possible that if he has declined a little bit physically. Maybe he needs to stop doing the box-to-box stuff. Like, we, we had this conversation so much last season. Wow, Casemiro is much more attacking than we thought he was going to be. But, but but maybe the question is now, but is that a good thing, question mark? Yeah, it's a, it, it, so far, uh, he, he does not look fit. In fact, I think you could apply that to a lot of the different uh, players for United so far, is they just mm. don't look uh, as fit as you would anticipate. Um, and he... In particular, I, I just the, the the three types of players they are is a weird construction. When Erickson is on the field, it feels a little bit safer. Like, you know, uh, Casemiro appears to be more comfortable with somebody closer and more alongside him. Hmm. Um, uh, but Mason Mount, to me, is very much a, uh, a player who excels in a system. Hmm. Um Bruno, and you and I have talked about this before, yeah. is a player who is more analog and kind of creative and and making weird. Mo- but he doesn't. He's not a system player in my head. I mean, he's an I agent see- of chaos, isn't it? Yes. I mean, we keep yeah. joking. Like, if you want to see a human being's head actually explode, uh, put Bruno into the Man City team and just see what happens to Pep Guardiola's mental well-being. Because yeah, he, like he just he kind nev- of runs around. He wouldn't stick to the script. He would never exist in a Man City team. So my point is, is in that Casemiro is kind of in between those guys Mm. and the three of them together. I'm just not convinced in this, the way it's structured right now works very well. I think the lack of cohesion between the three of them, along with the longstanding issue of never solving the striker problem. Mm. I've always wanted Marcus Rashford to excel as a nine, but I have come to understand and accept like everybody else that he's not a nine. So his discomfort in playing that role, uh, Granacho, who's just a kid who makes a lot of bad decisions, as exciting as he can be, and then the whole weird, uh, not going well, Anthony experiment, ex- mm. experiment uh, is I think where you find the bulk of the frustrations uh, and and problems that Ten Hag is experiencing at this point. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree, and and specifically with that midfield. In both two games, I thought there was just quite a lot of space that opened up in that oh, midfield yeah. area. And I think 
it was too many times where I just felt Casemiro had found himself too high up the field. And, and Mount, I'm sure you can tell him to drop deeper and, and cover for him, but it's not probably not his natural game. That'll take a little while to settle. I just wonder if you might have to tell Casemiro to stop doing that. Just kind of hang out in front of the back four and, and leave the attacking to Mount and Fernandez, and also tell Mount to keep an extra eye on where on earth Casemiro is and make sure there's some, uh, you, you know, this sort of stuff. But you know what? My sort of rose-tinted blue sky thinking view of this is that this is eminently fixable. I maintain, I think that trio, Casemiro doing the defensive stuff, Fernandez being a free spirit, and Mount just kind of uh, flitting around and knitting things together. In theory, I still believe that that can work. Uh, but but clearly it needs a bit more time on the training ground. Clearly the the players need to understand each other's strengths and weaknesses a little bit better. Uh, that's my sort of optimistic take on it, I guess. You know, uh, this may sound ridiculous, but if they're able to acquire somebody like an Amrabat or some other mm-hmm. kind of more youthful, uh, defensive-minded player that can play alongside Casemiro, I do have this weird wonder... You know, uh, Ten Hag's been doing this thing going back to last season where he pushes Bruno Fernandes up and forward into the right position where mm-hmm. Anthony sometimes sits. Yep. And I wonder if there's a uh, if there's a solution where Bruno moves further up the field and Mount takes more of the 10 position with this additional new player that plays along more alongside Casemiro. That may be weird thinking and no, not no, realistic, I, but I, I do wonder if maybe that's where a lot of this is headed. No, I like it. Uh, certainly adding one more body there, unless maybe more reintroduce McTominay to the mix. I don't know. I don't think there's a huge uh, clamor for that anywhere. I would. I was, I was just going to say real quickly. Once uh, you know, I, I have I have very little understanding about uh, the Danish forward that we've acquired, uh, and you could probably help me make sure I understand how to pronounce his last name correctly. Uh, Rasmus Hoyland. Okay. So uh, I I don't expect much. He's a 20 year old kid. Mm. My expectations are pretty low, but a a world where he plays that role uh, and lets Rashford go back on the left and Bruno is doing some sort of variation of that thing on the right with the rest of those pieces. I think that starts to make a little bit more sense to me. Yeah, no, I think you're right. That's that's probably more rational. I don't want to quite give up on my dream of that triumvirate uh, functioning just yet, but I think what you were proposing uh, probably makes more sense in in the short term for sure. Just aside from the tactical issues, I it worried me a little bit how flat United were here, especially in the second half when Spurs were kind of taking over. The United weren't that bad in the first half. In fact, they, they could have been in the lead. They had some chances. And then Tottenham kind of took over in the second half. And w- without wanting to sound like Roy Keane, at that point, I kind of expected United to just kind of kick someone, like pick up a few yellow cards. I mean, I, I Bruno already had a yellow card, I guess. But, you know, put in a few tackles, make it a bit nasty, make it physical, uh, because Spurs were kind of running all over them. And there, there wasn't, you know, I, I hate it when pundits just say, oh, not enough passion. But I, I felt that there kind of wasn't enough scrappiness and fight to United in that second half. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things, other comments and observations about Casemiro that has been bothering me is, is – you know, he got in trouble a lot last season for really getting stuck in in situations mm. that he regular, regularly got away with in Spain. And I, and what I've noticed in these first two games is how lightly mm. he seems to be. Like, you see him start to go in for a challenge, kind of put his hands up like, look, I'm not going to hurt the guy, yeah. I promise. I'm just trying to get the ball. And he's letting – and guys are beating him in duels that I don't remember it happening last season. So I don't know if, A, he's slowed down a little bit, B, he's just more cognizant of 
the crackdown on those types of challenges and he doesn't want to get in trouble and or if it's a combination of those things but something's going on there it's an interesting theory because of course he was known in in la liga for having like an invisibility cloak like he kept getting away with things <laughs> not not here <laughs> that was clearly not the case last year yeah so maybe he's rattled maybe he's like oh if i can't do that like what can i do uh that's a really interesting one to keep a close eye on for united fans yeah do you remember that sure. game the, in the wolves game when cunha just like got right past him way too easily and yeah. i just never I, I that was just a situation but and now to be fair to uh, casimir he immediately then beat uh martinez uh immediately after so mm. cunha is uh, actually a pretty good cunha. dribbler he's a very erratic player but he's a good dribbler yeah. um but also in this game having now uh spent quite a lot of time talking about how bad united were uh tottenham were pretty good were pretty promising um, yes I, I, I kind of thought so. And I, well, I'd, I'd ask you what you thought, because I'm obviously tremendously well, biased. But what I, was your take on that? I, I, I am an unusual United fan where I have experienced a lot of success with this team, and, and I'm not a native uh, in any way. I just kind of absorbed them as my favorite many, many years ago. Um, and uh, I'm at the point now where I really enjoy watching other teams find success. And man, here in the United States, if there's a group of Premier League fans that deserve something to go their way, <laughs> it is you Spurs fans. Mm. So uh, there's a part of me, as weird as this may sound, Lars, is I'm kind of excited to see where this Ange things go. And and this new look, Harry Caneless Spurs thing um, turns out to be. So, you know. Yeah, I'm. I think it was really important for Tottenham that they had. I mean, I wasn't at uh, the stadium, but according to people who were there, the atmosphere was better than it has been in a long time. Very, very positive. Very, very supportive. Gosh, uh, even I though, of course, so. there were there were some protests uh, ahead of the game about the rising ticket prices, and uh, God bless the uh, supporters' trust for bringing that up, because uh, like a lot of other clubs in England, Tottenham are are being. Uh, yeah, exploitative to be honest uh, uh, in their pricing structures and things there really absolutely not treating their fans very well at all uh, but on the pitch yeah no there's there's reasons to be cheerful we we had this thing last weekend when they played the first game of the season and everyone was like oh my god Tottenham are playing passes <laughs> you know we had we had clips circulating on Twitter of like moves that went nowhere people going look at us we're passing the ball uh, there's, it's been a couple of dire years uh, yes. and, and now they're moving the ball around a little bit, which is exciting to see. But more so than that, I thought um, in the second half in this game, first half, not amazing, but in the second half in particular, they started really taking over and playing really well. But you see things like uh, Destiny Udogi and Pedro Porro sort of coming inside and, and, and doing this sort of inverted fullback thing and helping create overloads in central areas. These sort of little tactical tweaks are kind of like they're not coming off every time, but they are... They, they are there and you can see that they're doing the things and they're occasionally working. A lot of players are getting forward. I thought the uh, Sar goal in a sense was very typical of how this is a different Tottenham team because it was a midfielder making like a committed run all the way into the into the box and all the way into the front of the goal. Like if, if one of the central midfielders did that on the Conte, like they'd get sworn at in Italian and then possibly dunked in the Thames after the game. Like you you were just you weren't allowed to do that. The steady boys were meant to hang out in midfield and never leave their posts. But it's much more enterprising now. I think it suits the club much better. Uh I, I, it's, it's nice that Vicario, the goalkeeper, made some nice saves because he looked a bit shaky against Brentford. He looked a lot better now, and I just think I'm a big sort of I've, I'm a big believer in Ange. I have been since before he was appointed. I I watched quite a lot of Celtic last season because of work stuff, and uh, I've 
always thought he cut a really impressive figure and I liked what his team was trying to do. So I've, I've been team Ange pretty, pretty, you know, in a big way, uh, in a way I haven't always been excited about recent uh, Tottenham managers, but I've been excited, but it feels a little bit different. You feel like you're rooting for him more so than some of the previous incumbents. But it, But I think it was important that he got this win now because... He doesn't have much of a CV. He doesn't have much of a name. He has a lot of charisma, it seems. But still, if it hadn't started well, and, and maybe the media gets on his back, maybe the fans get a bit restless, that kind of filters through into the players. Maybe You can, you can see how this could spiral very quickly if they don't start well. So having a rousing win at home to Man United, where the, the team are trying to do the things and the fans are kind of responding to what's going on, I think that was really important uh, beyond just three points. I think that mattered a lot for Tottenham's season. I was disappointed that we got the resolution to a question that I asked after week one with Spurs, and it it came against my team, which was, which is going to happen first, a Vicario clean sheet, or is Richarlison going to get a face tattoo? (laughs) And so it turns out the clean sheet came first. and uh, Yeah. uh, uh, I, I will say... Uh, as as entertaining as uh, if I just take my biases out of this, as entertaining yeah. as Spurs have been, I am a little concerned about the Richarlison piece of this for you guys moving forward. Yeah, that was he wasn't great in this game. Uh, I, 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 I I'm prepared to give him time. I think in the system they're playing, sometimes his job is just to pin the defenders back and, and stretch the field and and sort of make runs, and he's not always going to be involved a lot. Uh, but he seems a little bit frustrated. Uh, he, he's not a very subtle guy in terms of his body language. No, <laughs> he's put it not. that way. He wears he's not, it. He really does. And um, I'm I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure how good this uh, Argentine fellow they've signed is. I, I, frankly, South American club football is completely outside of my remit. So Aleo Veliz, his name is. Is that even Aleo Veliz? I, I did a funny thing with the pronunciation. Maybe I shouldn't have. Uh, he's a 19-year-old Argentine forward uh, from Rosario Central. Never seen him play. I have no idea. Uh, maybe he's okay, but I would maybe feel a little bit better if they had one player who was a stronger uh, challenger to Richarlison. Even though I've said before, I do think they should give him a run of games. But of course, the window's closing, so your your uh, your options uh, are are limited after that. Maybe Son playing up front is, is worth trying. I don't love that. I feel like Son is a lot better when he has space to run into. And when you start as the guy who's the furthest forward, very often you don't. A lot of it ends up being you know, back to goal and stuff. Uh, Son definitely needs a bit of a runway and get, get into speed and run at people. That's when he's dangerous. So I don't love Son up front, but it could be worth uh, worth trying. But I think for now you stick with Richarlison and give him time. But I would agree that that was not a positive in this game. Yeah, uh, the other thing I will comment on is I'm really enjoying that Postagoglu appears to be getting an actual performance out of Basuma. We're really starting yeah. to see the Basuma that we, we were so used to seeing at Brighton, and I was so excited for Spurs to get him when they did. They got it, yeah. And yeah. Um, and so uh, seeing him perform well uh, is a treat. I, I think that's a, a very good sign for your season. Yeah, one of those players who was uh, brought in at uh, at great expense, yes, uh, uh, under Conte, and who Conte then refused to to give minutes to. <laughs> this is like him and Richarlison just sitting there going, 
what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> and then, yeah, it's something that Conte always does at his clubs. He keeps nagging and whinging. You know, I want players. We have to sign more players, blah, blah, blah. And then more often than not, when they sign players, he doesn't trust them, so he doesn't use them. And the club's like, well, what's the point of that? This is one of the maddening things about Antonio Conte. That, that happened at Inter a few times as well. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, let, let's, let's move on from this game. There's other stuff that's happened at the weekend. And I've got, like, again, we've not written a big script for this because that's not how we roll. I just I wrote you a couple of, like, lines, things I think we should touch on. And one of them was Liverpool, a bit chaotic, I've written in my notes here. <laughs> yeah, Liverpool uh, continues to be uh, an interesting story from uh, and from my point of view, only in as much that I have a lot of Liverpool friends. We are always going back and forth with each other. And I've had a obviously a good run of uh, comic relief in their search <laughs> for a holding mid. And yeah, they, they started with, you know, uh, Jude Bellingham and then we're willing well, to spend more money to come get. On, come uh, on. Jude Castillo. Bellingham holding midfielder. I'm not letting you get away with that. No, no, I know. No, no, I'm not saying Bellingham. Look, Bellingham solved all other, all other kinds of problems for them, right? Mm, I'm just yeah, saying yeah, yeah. for a for a season that started with wanting Jude Bellingham at like 100 and yeah. then they were willing to go even higher to get Casado and then down to Lavia and then they end up with Endo. There's two parts to this for me. One is that is funny. It's very funny. But two, I actually think Endo's a really, really good player, solves a lot of problems for them, and they got him for a fraction of the amount of money they were willing to spend for other guys. So I, this may actually end up working in Liverpool's favor, although they <laughs> did not start well in this particular game. No, and, and, and before we get to it, I just, I, I've forgotten to tell you, we do have one very strict rule in the Lars Retort, which is no VAR chat at all, ever. It's completely, okay. it's completely banned. So no matter how what you feel about the sending off, we occasionally debate, we can very occasionally talk about refereeing decisions, but even then, I prefer to, at least if, if it's in the context of the rules in general, but like discussing specific decisions. I feel like you're forth. already breaking your own rule, Lars. I feel like, the, yeah, I feel like that stuff I've is really boring. I've agreed to your rule. No VAR uh, and the no VAR in the resort. That is an absolutely, you know, an, uh, yeah, a, a rule that cannot be broken under any circumstances. So we got that before we head into this game. Uh, I completely agree with you about Endo because I just think sometimes, without going full management speak here, sometimes the, the, you can't let the great be the enemy of the good. Like there were, there were a few players they wanted for that position, which, which would have been great. Uh, but they didn't. They didn't get them, and like Casado in particular is the one that'll sting. I, I suspect. Uh, but then that that you are in a situation where you need a number six. You need a holding midfielder with a pulse, uh, and you're getting a guy in Endo who's very, very experienced, very highly rated at his former club, um, ball winner in Germany, pretty pretty tidy on the ball as well. Occasionally gets forward. I think he's might he's going to have to stop that. I mean, I don't think they want him to do that particularly. Uh, but you know, 50, 50 caps for Japan. Uh, you know, you, you're getting someone who's not going to cost you a ton and can do a job for you. And, yeah, and sometimes right. you just got to do that. Yeah. So let's have this conversation because I, I I haven't heard anybody else really discuss this. Which is, we've all seen Casado play. We all know he's super high quality. Mm -hmm. But is Casado a hundred million dollars? more of value over endo for what liverpool needs i think age comes into it oh, yes I, obviously he is, he is, he is an awful he's, value yeah he's an awful lot better he is i think he is that or or at least i i think he is better he's shown that he can play very well in the premier league and he's 21 so well, it's except very, for very, yesterday 
It's a very different box of cheese. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we, we can do Casado later. Let's do a bit of Chelsea later. But for but now, Liverpool... I, but you see what I, I'm I, asking the question, I know what right? I, I know what I'm saying. And, and uh, I know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. And, and there's one thing when we're talking about structural stuff and about how football works and how the market works. It seems to me every summer... You know, because you know, the scouts and the sporting directors, you know, they talk. There is a bit of a sort of scouting hive mind out there. Even the stats guys mostly look at the same numbers, right? And sure. some people have got better numbers than others. And that means that we tend to go into each summer window with a lot of clubs looking at a lot of the same names. You know, every club will have a list of players in the positions where they want to reinforce. And I suspect if you go across the clubs, those the, the names of those lists will be pretty similar because the, the, there is an element of the hive mind there. And that's when you end up with like crazy bidding wars uh, for occasionally for, for them and you end up with some very high transfer fees. And I do wonder if sometimes there is there could be value to be found if we're thinking of like uh, of hacking the market a little bit of just the second there is that kind of bidding war, just back off because you're, you're, you're going to end up paying a lot of money and it could be the guy who is third or fourth or fifth on your list is actually kind of fine, uh, well, and, and you'll and you'll pay a lot less money for him. Uh, so, so maybe the Endo falls into that bracket. I do think he's sort of an emergency solution, but I think he could be okay. And I think what we saw in this game, which I want to bring bring us up to, is like that was a goofy lineup, and it's goofy by necessity, right? Because they've they've got the back four, and then just everyone in front are really attackers. Like McAllister's not a defender; he's you, you, he can control the, the the passing game from deep, but he's not a ball winner, really. Uh, Soboslai works incredibly hard, excellent physical uh, capacity, so but not a ball winner as such. So we've gone from having the Jurgen Klopp team of, of his early time at Liverpool, where the midfield was weird. The midfielder was almost all water carriers, you know? People were like, there's not enough creativity in there because they had like three guys who could run a lot in midfield and then a lot of the creativity came from the wingbacks to completely the opposite it's like all all creativity now it's 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 just a complete 180 could i make an argument that if you're trying to figure out which of the three players you wanted and the one you ended up with is actually the one that wants to be there and there's some value in that like if they had ended up winning the casado battle would they have ended up getting a guy that was like constantly going, man, I, I really wanted to go play in London. And I, I, I think that can be true. I'm not sure it's true specifically in the case of Casado. And I think with Casado, he's kind of already proven that even if he's not super happy with the situation, the guy gets to work. You know, he was on, he wanted Fair. to leave. He, he wanted to leave Brighton in January. Yeah. Uh, he was very clear on that. And then that didn't happen. And he signed a new deal and got to work and was brilliant in the second half of the season. So I wouldn't worry about that, but certainly yeah, I think I think we've I think we've chatted Endo to death. We both kind of well, like let him. me just we, we both think it's fine. I think he will be fine, and I think he helps solve all kinds of Jurgen uh, of Klopp's concerns about you know the thing that you were just talking about, how weird the formation and yeah. the tactics look right now. I think he solves a lot of problems, and I'm not. I'm, let me put it this way: I'm not worried about Liverpool. No, no, not worried in. Not worried in that sense. It depends on what the target is. I mean, are they good enough to compete with Man City this season? Probably no. not. But but this is you know step one towards building to a team that could get to that point, right? Yeah. Now, I I think from this game as well, worth talking about Bournemouth for a second. I think two games in, I know we're in the realm of the of the uh, overreaction, but I have to say, two games in, Bournemouth is the prediction I regret the most. I would say. Uh, 
I don't. Th- I, I I no longer think they'll go down. To be perfectly honest, but I've put my predictions in. I can't change them now. Uh, I think you were right, and I was wrong on that one. Uh, yeah, I'm I, I re- pretty I, good about. I really liked how aggressive they were in this game. The way they went at the, uh, Liverpool. Okay. You can say since Liverpool went a man down, maybe they should have gotten something more out of it. But, you know, it's it's Liverpool away. It's not a game where Bournemouth are expecting to get points. But I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of pay, a lot of purpose and energy to the way they go about their business. I, I quite like the look of them. Well, let me I'm going to this is going to make me sound like an American homer, but hold your pants because Tyler Adams is on his way. Hold um, your pants. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling you, in this system. With this kind of, uh, you know, all-out, high-press um, type of manager, this is such a perfect opportunity for Tyler Adams to do exactly what he excels at. And I and I really, really think this is going to be – I'm not saying they're going to end up top half of the table or anything, but I think Bournemouth with Tyler Adams in a role that he excelled at uh, at Leeds until he got hurt – I think is a really interesting thing people should keep an eye on. Yeah, that was like almost immediately after I'd made my my after I doomed Bournemouth in my predictions. They first sign Alex Scott, who is this really interesting midfielder from Bristol City, who a lot of people were super high on uh, after two good seasons in the Championship. Very interesting young player, really the kind of player that Tottenham used to be quite good at mm-hmm. picking up. Actually, they signed him. Really interesting signing. Then they picked up Tyler Adams, who, like you say, should be perfect for the system. And I'm just sat there with slowly backing into the hedge like Homer Simpson with my Bournemouth to go down. Call. Like, I'm not I'm not feeling good about that at all. And so far, I'm kind of interested in what Ariel is doing with this team. Mm. I, you know, it, it doesn't feel like it's balls to the wall Bielsa, right, where it's just like, th- don't even worry about defending. It feels like a nicely balanced version of that, at least in yeah. two games so far. And, and I think Dom Solanke is a good striker for that kind of system. You know, he, mm-hmm. Dom Solanke is never going to be a superstar, but he's, yeah, he he he's a hard worker. He's got good physical attributes. You know, he can lead lead that line very well in that kind of system. I think so. Yeah, um, Liverpool got the job done, obviously, with their loopy top heavy lineup. Even though they had to play, you know, over half an hour with ten men, so that was. Good on Liverpool, well done. But uh, it, it was weirdly the kind of game that Liverpool did well to not, you know, get themselves in trouble. But I also came away thinking, I think Bournemouth are better than I thought they were going to be. Okay, can we go back to talking about Chelsea, please? I mean, we can. Let's, let's skip Chelsea to, to Chelsea, who got David Moised <laughs> the, the, the the most. Yeah, if that's the thing, they got Moised, Moised. Uh, they had uh, what seventy five percent possession. <laughs> In that yeah. game, had a, had a, had an extra man for a lot of time, but just couldn't find a good opening. Did you, did you find and, yourself at any point after the um, second yellow and them going up? Did you ever find yourself late in the game going, "Oh wait, that's right, they're playing a man up." Yeah, because West Ham's tactics are exactly the same, aren't they? They're going to sit back in a low block, and, and you can take a man out of it, and it doesn't. Yeah, you, you're you're right. It didn't really change the the flow of the game very much. No. Uh, they they had I mean Chelsea had seventy five percent possession both before and after the red card didn't change it at all uh, in 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 that sense 
James Ward Prowse providing assists in terms of, of set pieces again, and no one I mean, that makes me so ASF, happy. By the in way, in terms of a set piece, there's no one should be surprised by that. Uh, and 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 this is, I guess, this is what David Moyes does really well and has done really well at at uh, West Ham. Nice for Antonio to get get himself a goal. But yeah, Chelsea uh, did not win a game. Uh, did not win the game, which is sad for them. I I, I suppose. What are you thinking? Ah. Uh- I I think I saw somewhere this is this means they've still only won one of like their last eleven Premier League games. I don't really care about that, really. <laughs> to be honest, it's a new no? season. I mean, it, no, doesn't oh, matter okay. what happened. In, doesn't matter what happened in the spring, does it? Well, no. I mean, just the fact that they. I, I, it is funny to me, and again, I apologize to all of England for Todd Bowley. It just does feel. <laughs> To me, that um, they're, they're cursed. Well, no, no. That uh, Pochettino has this incredible task of trying to figure out how to take all of this individual talent and turn it into a team, and it feels mm. it does look and feel better than what we saw over the course of last season. What was an even weirdly more mashed up group of players. Yeah. This feels a little bit more cohesive. But it still looks like eleven guys that have never played football together, all trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's true. That's because they are. But I mean, it, well, I, yeah, I think, it is what it is. Well, I'd say the reason I don't care about that stat is that like half the team who played in those games are now have have escaped Correct. to the desert, have Fair. escaped to the desert. So it's like it doesn't seem to matter that much. It only matters I, I, that much because it's an insane amount of money that has been spent. No, that's on true. Two, on two spend two completely different spending sprees mm. that have still resulted in one win in whatever the weird stretch of games it is. So I I find myself in a position I'm not comfortable with, which is I, I love making fun of Todd Bowley. You know that about me. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> and I also quite like it. Like, obviously, being a Tottenham fan, I don't mind Chelsea falling on their faces. That's all good fun. But I want to defend them a little bit here now because, you know, when they did the... The Caicedo and Lavia transfers, you know, the internet was awash with memes. And there was like, oh, my God, they've signed so many players. Oh, they have so many players. But it's like, has anyone actually kind of sat down and gone through their squad to ascertain whether they actually have too many players? Because I don't think so. They did a great job sending people away. So I did that this afternoon. I looked at the squad and and, and I put up like a 3-5-2 uh, system to see where they all kind of fit or 3 3 Three, four, three. I guess it is system to see where they all fit in, and they do pretty neatly have two players for each position, which is what serious Premier League teams have, and not a lot of excess aside from that. I'm just going to do this really quickly. They've got Bob Sanchez in goal, which is obviously a bit of a weird one. I, I'm not entirely sure uh, why they. I mean, that's polite. I, I thought at the time, oh, it's because they still believe in Kepa, but they want a good challenger to Kepa because they don't believe in him that much. That's what I thought when they did the Bob transfer, uh, the, the Bob Sanchez transfer. But then Kepa goes away, and I was like, wow, okay. So it says, uh, it's Robert Sanchez, you're, you're, you're number one. That's, that's the decision, certainly. Um, but yeah, in front of that, at, at, if, we, if we have a back three, at right center half, uh, let's say it's Axel uh, Diasi or Wesley Fofana. Or, or Trevor Chaluba can be an option. And then in the middle, you have Thiago Silva or Wesley Fofana. But again, you've got four, four center halves for those two spots. And at the left center half, you've got either Badia Shile or Levi Colwell. 
So that's pretty good. That's that's six center halves available to you for three spots. That's kind of what you want to have. Um, at, at, maybe you don't need all six. You could probably maybe send Chalaban loan somewhere if you want to. You could probably get away with five. But it's not crazy to have six when one of them is Thiago Silva, who's really old. You've got a couple of injuries uh, to the others. And, you know, yeah, I think that's fine. Uh, right wing, wing back, right wing back, right wing back. You've got Reese James and Malogusto. Yep, two wing backs. That's fine. Left wing back, you've got Chilwell and Kukurea. Yep, two two players for that position. That's fine. Uh, they've got Ian Matson from the academy, but he's young. He's not going to play a lot. They have this Lewis Hall guy who's on his way to Newcastle, uh, apparently. He looked kind of promising, but, you know, off he goes. And then the two midfield spots, you've got Enzo Fernandez and with Romeo Lavia as the understudy for one of them. And you've got Caicedo and Gallier fighting, fighting it out for the other position. That's fine. There's four players for those two positions. Then you've got, like, the sort of attacking roles. You've got Let's say you've got Sterling and Madueke fighting for one spot and Mudrik and Kunku when he's healthy again fighting for the other and Chukumeka, who maybe you'd want to loan out, but since Nkunku is now out for a while, you know, he can pick up some minutes in that role. You can stick him in midfield as well, so that kind of makes sense. And up front, you've got Nicholas Jackson and Armando Broja, who Porch says he wants to give minutes to. So this this seems like a perfectly rationally put-together squad to me in terms of having options in each position. You've got Lukaku, Hudson-Odoi, and Malang Sar, who I think is still at the club. They're all for sale. They want to send them away, and you'd expect them to leave. And then you've got a couple of young players like uh, Ugo Chukwu and Andre Santos, who likely will get loaned out, you would imagine. But but if you look at it, like this is not a bloated squad. This is not a, a crazy squad. This, these are the options you want to have. They're not nobody you, sitting out in the hallway? In, no, the I mean, I, I don't think so anymore. They've, uh, they've all gone to... Uh, <laughs> They've all gone to play in the sand, <laughs> the ones who were sitting in the hallway. Um, or, or, I mean, yeah, uh, Pulis- Pulisic went to Milan, where Pulisic has decided he wants his name to be pronounced uh, correctly, which is exciting. Uh, have you, have you, are you across this? Oh, yeah. No, we're very familiar with the uh, Pulisic, Pulisic, uh, the whole thing. Yes. Very For familiar. me, as a European, the, the fact that he for a while insisted on being called Pulisic was like, Dude, <laughs> that's very confusing. But did then you also, he, you get, did you see that he hit a worldie today for Milan? I I saw reports on the Twitter sphere. I haven't seen the goal yet, uh, but you know, good on him for uh, for him uh, for the the Maga Mkhitaryan for for going off and <laughs> playing some football somewhere. But my point is, this Chelsea squad, I. I you know, I, I I don't like saying this, but this is a squad that makes sense to me. Maybe you're you're banking a little bit heavily on Nicholas Jackson or Amando Broja scoring goals up front. You're probably hoping that Nkunku could do that or score a lot of goals. So, you know, there's some there's some things going on here, but I, I this isn't bloated. It's not too much. You've just spent a lot of money getting there. No, and I again, it all goes back to exactly what we talked about at the beginning of this. This is a function of a man of a new manager coming into a new group of players, most of which have not been in this club for a very long time, if at all, and they're all just trying to gel and build chemistry, and that's just simply going to take time. Now, here's the thing, Chelsea fans, when it does come together, it's probably going to be really, really good and frightening for the rest of the league. Yeah, I th- I think so. I'm I'm actually quite. I mean, we we had this conversation in the preview pod, so I don't need to go through it all again. But I'm actually kind of high on on Chelsea. I think Chelsea could be good. I this this is a squad that makes sense to me, and I think that midfield pairing of Enzo Fernandez and Casado. Yeah, Casado gives away a penalty yesterday. You know that that can happen, but those two are. I know yeah. they spent I, I, they spent a ton of money, but they complement each other so well. Uh, Enzo ended up playing almost like a holding role last season, kind of restricted him. 
I, I think you want to give him more license to move around like you had at Benfica. But if you do that, you need someone who can cover an insane amount of ground to cover for him. And then they brought in like the the, the Moise Caicedo, who, who who literally used to be like a N'Golo Kante fanboy. You know, he was his idol when he was younger. Uh, he he's been brought in to do that role, and I think it makes total sense. I I, I think this team will come together. It's it's a matter of getting the goals. But uh, yeah, Chelsea fans, uh, I I think it's good. Is there a lesson that we're en- going to end up, and maybe uh, over the millennia, this has been learned many times, but the Mudrik story, uh, I think, continues to be one to keep an eye on because, you know, very young kid, limited amount of uh, experience, uh, you, you know, coming in, so much money, and he's yet to really show anything. Um, and, and I, you do wonder how tight the leash is on him with uh, – with whether they're just going to let him play through it and see if they can get anything out of him and get his his confidence and his form back up or if they're just like look until you start you know producing something we can't put you out there very often they just kind of have to let him play i guess because they've spent that kind so of money, on, money him, on him and i know but i mean if there's a lesson to be had it's that you know i know he looked great in flashes but this is a guy who had started with 40 games in ukraine uh, and uh, or something like that. Like he hadn't played a lot of football uh, at senior level. He'd shown some brilliant flashes here and there, but again, at a at a significantly weaker league, a couple of good games in the Champions League, sure. But I always thought, again, that was one of those bidding wars. There was like people became convinced, like this is the guy we have to get. This guy. Sometimes, why? Well, yeah, you know what? Just don't get the guy. Just get the guy who's like second or third or fourth on your list. They're probably fine as well. And uh, I I think the expect. Too many of the expectations, you know, social media were going wild for Mudrik based on what exactly? Yeah, that's, you know, that, that that was, I think that was very driven by like highlights compilations and the fact that, yeah, I'm not going to deny he looked really good in certain parts. I mean, I've, I've had that experience. I watched, what, what game was it? It was an international break when I was incredibly bored and watching Ukraine. And I was in like one of the Discord groups. I mean, like tweeting my friends because like, oh, like Mudrik, he's very handy. That's when he was close to moving to Leverkusen. I thought that's such a typical Leverkusen move to pick him up and then sell him to England for like a hundred million a year later. Uh, and then the Leverkusen thing didn't happen. But the point is, yeah, no, of course, I'm not going to say I also rated him, and I still think he can be very good. But I think the sort of the the vibe on social media when he went to Chelsea was like, this is guy's already a superstar, which the the empirical evidence did not support. Uh, and and I, th- I think he has the raw material to be very good, but I think you're going to have to give him some time. And the expectations that come with the transfer fee probably probably don't help. Yeah, that's the part. That's what I'm fascinated to watch, see how that plays out, because that's the lesson that I wonder we all find out is that sometimes, uh, I don't know, Lars, it just it, it there's a part of it that felt a bit predictable based on what we actually knew about the guy. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it reminds me that that transfer, as well as a few other Bowley era transfers at Chelsea, does remind me again of the succession uh, gif of of Logan Roy saying congratulations on saying the biggest number. <laughs> that is, you know, yeah. like okay, yeah, well done, guys. You've, well, you've, 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 said, you've successfully said the biggest number. I, I do uh, want to point out to everybody that Chelsea's next three games is at home against Luton, home against Forest, and then away uh, to Bournemouth. 
Ah, yeah, I wonder they could be, we'll see, I haven't checked the prices on these games, but they could be some value in the betting markets there. Maybe some people have been spooked by Chelsea's first two games, whereas I actually think they played pretty well at times in, in both of them. Could be we could see some goals in those. I think that's very possible. Yeah, and to further forecast it, the the next game is home against Villa and then away at Fulham. So the next five games you really only have in my mind. You know, Bournemouth may be a test at Bournemouth. Villa absolutely will be a test, mm-hmm. but the other three, uh, yeah, points you should get. And then in late October you got Chelsea Arsenal. Mm. Mm. Then Chelsea Brentford. Then Tottenham Chelsea and Chelsea Manchester City. Newcastle Chelsea. Yikes! November. <laughs> I think Poch and then Brighton and then Man United. Good Lord. So that's stretched from late October to early December. Pochettino definitely wants to have his team together and functioning and by then. Out. Yeah, let's, yeah let's, that, that could be rough if you get to that Let's use the next five te- games as, uh, as uh, t- you know, the training ground to get everything put back together and working correctly. Yeah, because yeah. that's been your thing. You think, I'm going to say this there, listener, You is it out of the top six or out of the top, out of the top seven, you think two managers will leave yeah. their jobs. You know, at the beginning of our uh, season on our show, I asked myself and my co-host to come up with a wacky prediction, something that it seems off the wall, but may happen. And mine was, is if you consider the top seven, my prediction was two of those clubs will have a different manager by the end of the season. Mm. Because you can see all sorts of scenarios. You could look, you could see a Chelsea thing where it really sputters to start. And by Christmas time, Todd Bowley loses his mind. So this is kind of where I'm getting at here. I think they would be mental to to sack Pochettino almost under any circumstance in the first season. But you you never know with Todd Bowley and the boys. And it's feasible if this run of, of quote unquote winnable games don't go their way. And they reach that stretch of games that we just rattled off when they get a, like a full month where there's basically only difficult games, more or less. Mm-hmm. If the team isn't together by then and they suffer some big results, you can imagine Tom Bowley lose, lose, Todd Bowley losing his mind and doing something stupid. That, 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 that's not unreasonable. Sure. And I, and I think you could make that argument uh, with any of these uh, top seven clubs if things just go really, really sour, even for some of the established managers. You know, there's, there's even, let's just throw out the most wild one, Liverpool, for example. I, and you know what? I, I, I can't let you get away with that. I don't think there's any scenario in which Jurgen okay. Klopp leaves. Because uh, I just think he's had, I think uh, John W. Henry and the lads owning the club and the lads owning the club are so aware. <laughs> John W. Henry's ever been called a lad before. The lads. <laughs> I think him and them are so aware of what a dumpster fire the club was when Klopp took over. And what an incredible job he's done winning them a title and getting them to that level that I think he's basically own. I basically he's earned the right to choose the manner of his own departure. Okay. I, 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 I don't think he gets sacked under any circumstance. I, well, okay. That, fair enough. But I never say never. I just, no, no. I, well, that's, that's why you're a good sort of, because I'm quite, I do sometimes say never, but of course football is a silly game where, where never isn't a thing. Like uh, wacky stuff happens all the time. We had a very wacky season last year, didn't we? Oh, for sure. And, and again, it, I, I make sure everybody remembers this whole idea is predicated on the fact that it's a wacky prediction. It's unlikely Mm. to happen, but you could, if you thought about it long enough, you could see scenarios pop up where a couple of these guys aren't 
managing the team next season. Yeah, and there were I mean, we could have done that at in April and just looked around the league and looked at who is in charge of what and what was going on. And there were several things that would have seemed completely crazy at the start of that season. That's always how it goes, which is why the Premier League is such a fun uh soap opera, let's call it that. Um moving on, we've gone on for a bit, but let's have a quick touch on City, I think, who got the job done. Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed with Newcastle in this game. Uh, Phil Foden looks pretty good, uh, sort of deputizing for uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Mm -hmm. And City are also signing Jeremy Doku. Mm. Stuff going on here. Lots of stuff going on. I asked you uh, in our group chat if if you had known that Kevin De Bruyne was going to be out through the holiday, Mm. would you have still predicted City to be Premier League champions? Yes, and and I not at all. It wouldn't have changed my thinking. And I, I I've checked. I can see on the betting markets that it hasn't checked changed the markets thinking either. Really, uh, City is still huge favorites. And part of it is, I think, I think it opens. You know, in every in every crisis lies an opportunity. As I've gone full fortune cookie in this episode, this is the second time I've gone very management sort of uh, LinkedIn speak here. But it is true. In every in every crisis, there lies an opportunity. And I think the opportunity here is named Phil Foden, who yeah. uh, is, in, is in such a strange spot, I feel, because he's 23 years old now. Like, he's not a child anymore. But he is a player who I think everyone agrees is brilliant. Even in the sort of wild realms of social media, where all kinds of goofy takes exist, I think you'd struggle to find people of any standing who, who, who don't acknowledge that Phil Foden is a really, really good footballer, right? Everyone agrees on this. But at the age of 23, he is not in his team's best 11. Certainly wasn't last season. And he's probably not in England's best 11 either. That's that's a little bit sort of dicey as well, which is a strange spot to find yourself in. Okay, Yeah, of course, he's trying to... He is, he is a city boy. Uh, he, he doesn't want to leave. I'm sure he's more than happy being one of the first guys off the bench and one of the most important rotation options for the club he grew up with. I don't think he's going to complain about that. That's not my point. I'm just saying it's strange for a guy who's this talented at the age of 23 to not be an automatic pick, uh, which he hasn't been. But I think at some point, Kevin De Bruyne is not going to be the sort of creative fulcrum of this team uh, forever you know he's not he's not a, he's not young he he has hinted a few times that he kind of feels old compared to some of these other guys uh, in the team uh, and he definitely pushed his body very far perhaps too far last season with all the games he played and and we're seeing now with this injury that uh, that that perhaps he he needs to be managed a little bit more carefully he's 32 now so going forward i don't think kevin de bruyne will be playing every game even if he is healthy and i think it's it's all there for phil foden to to take the reins it is interesting to think that in two of his three last full games, De Bruyne has had a significant injury. I'm, I'm, it's the same one, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. His hamstring. And, and as you point out, he is 32. And maybe this is just the natural course of nature taking place here in giving Foden the opportunity. And I, my feeling about Phil is, is that he's completely capable of – uh, of filling the role uh, given to him, he and 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 taking and grabbing the opportunity, Lars, and mm. maybe by the time all of this finally plays out, it'll be this beautiful story about the passing of the torch. Yeah, and you know what I'm saying. And you can no, just kind of you can kind of see how that plays out over the course of the season. I, abs- I absolutely agree with that, and I think that kind of 
I, I, I don't want to be like, again, I think him growing up, he's from Stockport. I think he's from the Manchester area, certainly. And he was a boyhood City fan. He's come through the academy and he, he still started a bunch of games last year. So I'm, I'm not, it's not like he's been in the reserves, but I just think he's too good to not be first choice somewhere is, is how I see it. Certainly at the age of 23, started 22 games in the league. Yeah, I checked. So I started 22, came on in 10. So he was involved in, in you know, pretty much all the games when he was fit, of course. But I still think he's too good to not be an automatic starter, wherever he is. City being one of the hardest teams in the world, of course, to be an automatic starters in. But yeah, it's a big year for him, and and this opportunity has come up now because of the injury for for Kevin De Bruyne. And I thought he did, I thought he did well in this game. I was disappointed in Newcastle. I'm going to have to say that, not because you lose with losing by one goal away to City is not a terrible outcome. Most teams lose by more than that. But I just kind of thought they were a bit flat in this game in the first half. Maybe the plan was to tire City out and sort of go for it later in the game, right? But I just thought the way we we came into this game with City having to go to Greece and play at inclement times and fly around and Guardiola wasn't happy, De Bruyne is injured. You know, not ideal uh, circumstances for City to be facing such a potentially dangerous opponent as, as Newcastle. And I was kind of expecting with all those extra days of rest that Newcastle would just fly out of the blocks and really put City under pressure and get in their faces and not let them play because we know the energy and intensity that Newcastle can can bring to bear. And that's just not at all what happened in the first mm-hmm. half in this game. They, they were very, very flat. And then later in the game, yeah, City may be tired and Newcastle had more chances and got more involved. But by then, of course, they were already one goal down. And I don't know. I was expecting more from Newcastle there. I was too, and I think everybody's a little bit disappointed that Hal put him out that way, just based on the opportunity um, and the circumstance. I mean, if Newcastle is a serious, can you know, has serious ambitions, I feel like that's the situation where they need to assert themselves. And making the tactical decision not to do that, I, I, I'm a little disappointed in. Yeah, I also thought it was just would have been the best move tactically. Yeah, uh, and, and another thing in their favor was that Aling Holland was having an off day, and he doesn't have that many of them. And he was definitely not, you know, he has <laughs> having having spent a lot of my life studying Aling Holland footage the last uh, sort of five six months. Um, he's not got the most subtle body language in the world, and uh, yeah, he wasn't it wasn't quite happening for him in this game. He was getting a bit frustrated. So, you know, that's, a lot of times when you play City, they just start with one or two goals because Holland does the things and you're kind of doomed. But that didn't happen here. So there was another reason there was there was an opportunity for Newcastle. And I just kind of expecting a little bit more from them. Yeah, it is kind of a bummer that if Newcastle isn't going to uh, take their opportunity in this situation, who's going to over the course of the season? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. All right, th- this has gone on. It's been a good chat. I'm enjoying this. Let's do more of these. But uh, I, it shouldn't go on for that long, you know. The, the resort you shouldn't go on for hours and hours. We have to. We cannot. We kind of. It's the nature of a resort. You visit them, but then you have to leave. <laughs> if, you're in, if you're in a resort for too long, something's gone wrong in your life. You know. Yes. Is, it's been a little not, awkward standing around in a banana hammock for the last hour. <laughs> eating guac and nothing eating else. Your, your your intestines are in a state of open revolt. A very uh, very European feeling I am right now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what we do all the time. Um, but yeah, just uh, because we do. Uh, I, and we are uh, sponsored by Betson. I always usually do a betting segment right at the end, but that's always a little bit awkward early in the week and you know, when there's no Champions League games. I should write these down. Uh, 
and there's no Champions League games either. But on but the betting blog, the, the the column that I do every week is back up and running. I kind of sat out the first day of the season because I kind of hate the first day of the season because you don't really know anything. Um, but we were back for the second week. Uh, the weekly treble did not land, but we did well on the singles. We had Brentford to win outright at 258, so decent price there. And we had Liverpool to win and both teams to score. Because I just thought with that sort of wacky midfielder there, Bournemouth were going to get in at some point, and they did. That landed at 241. And then we didn't get both teams to score in Tottenham Manchester United. That was annoying. But two solid wins on the singles. That was a nice start uh, to the season. Uh, like I said, I haven't done the column for next weekend yet because that would be crazy. There's too much time between now and then. But there's one thing, one thing that I'm looking at already. I, I, I still, I, I, hmm. And I want to run this by you, Peter, actually. Okay. Do you think United will keep a clean sheet against Nottingham Forest? Uh, Is it home or away? Home. They host the Tricky Trees at Old Trafford. Will they keep a clean sheet? I'm going to go against my better common sense and say yes you're saying yes well i i don't agree with that peter i have to say mm-hmm. uh based on united's first two games and the amount of space that's and how stretched they've been and the big gaps in the midfield i think that nottingham forest counterattack with uh oh, your yeah. favorite and mine ty wiwini with brennan johnson return to united too i didn't think about that with brennan johnson and morgan gibbs white running off him elanga probably coming on off the bench to add some speed later I think United are going to get caught on the counter at some point in this game. Wouldn't mm. surprise me if they won. I mean, they have much better players than Forrest. But I suspect uh, I suspect that uh, Forrest can get a goal. And I see that both teams to score in this game is at a fairly healthy 188. So you're, you're getting pretty close to doubling your stake there for both teams to score. I think that is a very reasonable uh, bet. And I, th- I think that's going to be, that's probably going to close a little bit shorter. I, I, I was also tickled by both teams to score in Bournemouth Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> but, but of course, the price is 153, so it's, it's a lot less attractive. You could do what, what I very often do and throw on over two and a half goals. So both teams to score and any other result than 1-1, one, one. you get a 182 on that. So if you bet uh, a tenner, you get 18 uh, back. So I think, that's, I think that's another one that might find its way to the betting column. We'll see, because I think Bournemouth are going to be one of those teams. Uh, the, that the way they go about their business, I'm expecting them to score goals, and uh, they kept a clean sheet against United Tottenham. But with Ange Ball, I think we're going to see a few a few leaky performances from them as well. Anyway, that's some stuff. The the the, the betting column, full betting column with the boosted weekly treble will be up later, much later in the week. Uh, but for now, thank you very much, Peter, for joining me in the resort again. Anytime, Lars. Oh, you should be very careful with saying that because it might turn into literally, literally any time, and the resort will take over your life. Let's let's try to keep that from happening. But it's, I really so the do weather is so, so much more lovely here than it is back in Dallas. So is it is it bad weather in Dallas? Oh my gosh, we are in an incredible run of a hundred plus degree days. Uh, it's here, too hot, which is even hot for which is actually hot for Dallas in a summer. But you know, it is what it is. This is the thing for a Norwegian who's lived in the UK for a long time. It's like it doesn't occur to us that too hot could be a thing, but of course it could be. <laughs> I'm sure you have quite a lot of that. Yeah, it, it's a Texas summer, man. It's uh, this is a hotter than normal one. You know, for a, a place that summers are always hot. So I am coming to visit you at some point, but maybe not in the summer. I think I'm, I'm, no, I'm, 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 not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not built for this. Please don't come in the summer. No, no. do not do that. 
Either a very early MLS game or a very late season MLS game. I think that's going to have to be how we plan this expedition at some point. All right, we'll do that. All right, thank you very much, Peter, and thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, the resort will be back. Uh, it always does. The, res- the, res- the, the, res- the resort returns. It is the Hotel California of podcasts. You can't check out anytime you want, but you absolutely cannot leave. And so I will talk to you uh, when uh, when we are back. Bye.